This is the My Bloody Hell podcast, the podcast where we share stories about perimenopause. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to episode number 13 of the My Bloody Hell podcast. I'm your host, Lori L. Tharps. I'm a journalist, an author, a mother of three, and a newly arrived expat to the south of Spain. I'm also a card-carrying member of Team Perimenopause. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. If you're one of our returning listeners, welcome back, and thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast. I'm glad everybody here is listening, and I hope everyone walks away from this podcast episode feeling a little bit more informed and a little bit more inspired about their own menopause journey. On episode 13 of the podcast, my guest is Marla Stein. Marla identifies as a white-presenting Jewish woman of Ashkenazi descent. Marla has a unique professional background, and she's lived all over the United States and abroad. I asked Marla to be a guest on the My Bloody Hell podcast to share her experience of what it was like to go through a surgically induced menopause when she was just in her late 30s after going through cancer treatment and then another cancer scare. Now at almost age 50, Marla shares what it was like to go through, as she calls it, cold turkey menopause. During her story, she shares what the worst part of going through menopause before her 40th birthday was, and she talks a lot about the importance of listening to her body and how by doing that, she has become her own best advocate when it comes to managing her health. Despite the heavy topics we cover, Marla shares her story with humor and complete transparency. I know it's going to resonate with anyone who also went through early menopause, but also for all of us looking at the second half of our lives and wondering what comes next. Before we get to Marla's story, though, I do need to thank our wonderful sponsor, Yum Day. Yum Day is a subscription snack box company founded by a woman of color that prioritizes snack companies led by women and people of color. So that means all of the yummy snacks that Yum Day uses in their subscription boxes, snacks like cactus tortilla chips, cocoa-dusted wrapped cashews, and Mexican shortbread cookies are all made by companies that are either women-led or POC-led. So you can feel good about gifting these types of treats for the holidays. Because not only are they tasty, but you're also supporting women and people of color. So it's a win-win-win situation. Now, If you're like me and holiday shopping is overwhelming, think about the convenience of giving a Yum Day subscription box to all of your friends and family. No shopping at the malls, no guessing who wants what, but you can still give your friends and family a thoughtful and exciting gift. A subscription from Yum Day can be tailored to the tastes of all of your family members. So you can give a box that only has gluten-free snacks, or you can give them a box with only vegan snacks. And boxes can be given for a one-off present, or they can be given for a quarterly subscription or even an annual subscription. So make your holiday shopping easy this year and order a subscription box from Yum Day for everyone on your list. And just to sweeten the deal, my listeners can use the code MBH 
POD15 for 15% off their order. That's MBH as in my bloody hell, POD15, when you shop at yumday.co. The link is in the show notes. And now, let's meet Marla. My name is Marla, last name is Stein. From my accent, people can tell that I am American. And gradually you'll hear that I'm originally from New York. The East Coast accent does come out a bit. I am soon to be 50. I will be 50 December 2021, and I'm ready to rock it. As far as careers go, Marla has had more than one. And the way she has followed her heart and her passions is truly inspiring. I've pivoted so much professionally and even personally that at times I've been dizzy. So I've pivoted a lot. I, I fell into the nonprofit sector by default. I've always been a bleeding heart and social justice is a key part of who I am as a person. So that, long story short, led to me being a nonprofit fundraising director in various social justice organizations, primarily focused on children, health, education, and international issues. And I did that up until about 45, 46. That's what I was doing. I did that for almost 20 years. And at the time, I was in San Francisco, and I was done. I wasn't feeling a city where you had to pay $100 for dinner every night, amongst a lot of other reasons. (laughs) But that's just a very brief snippet of one of the many reasons why I left And I always wanted to teach English as a second language. I had been certified for years, and I always felt that teaching ESL was a great way for me just to tap into what brings me joy, which is working and being an ally to other people who might want an ally to help wherever their goals are. And I really felt by teaching English as a second language, that was a way for me to be impactful in a very direct way. So as someone who has pivoted a lot, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to South Korea. I just really wanted to do a 180 and force myself to try something new. And I fell in love with teaching English. I worked at a private academy for kindergartners, and I never thought that was going to be where I was going to go, but it really fit my personality perfectly. So it was a wonderful experience. But that pivot led to me pivoting and going back to the U.S. due to a family emergency. And during that time, I was forced to be still and figure out what was next. And once I gave myself permission to be quiet and to really listen what it was, I realized I wanted to tap into my creativity through writing. And through, actually at the start of the pandemic, I was in lockdown in Lisbon. I was quote-unquote, stuck in Portugal for three months. (laughs) Stuck in Portugal after bouncing around Europe. That's another story. And that led to me listening to my inner voice and deciding to invest in myself. And that led to me launching what is now a pretty fruitful writing business. By fruitful, I mean meaningful. As financially, come on, a writer, writers don't make a lot of money, but it's a very meaningful experience. So Marla is obviously a creative spirit who loves to travel, she loves writing, and she has a heart for helping people. And Marla is adept at finding humor even in times of adversity. And adversity is something Marla has faced many times in her life with regards to her health. And the challenges she faced started early. I didn't get my period until I was 15. And that was a surprise because my mother 
got hers when she was nine. And it was, you know, you would think that there would be some similarity, I don't know, through genetics, heredity, or what have you. So when that happened, I felt a sense of relief, to be honest with you, because I felt like, okay, what's wrong with me? That question, what's wrong with me, is a question that in some ways has been part of the running narrative for Marla regarding her body and her relationship with it. I will be completely transparent and I'm very direct. I don't think even to this day I fully embrace my body. You know, it's a vessel for allowing me to live, but I've had so many health challenges and I've always had this little disconnect regarding how to embrace it. But when I was 15, my chest developed. I was very lopsided, so that felt very awkward to me. I was very thin at the time, so like my body hadn't fully developed to what is perceived as a quote-unquote woman. And I never really was able to connect the dots with my outer and inner at that time, the time of being 15. And around that time, I had also lost one ovary. So I must have been 15 or 16 when that happened. I lost an ovary because I had a cyst about the size of a grapefruit on one of them. So that was removed. You know, technology, if it was nowadays, I probably would have still had that ovary, but this is over 30 years ago. And I don't think I ever really processed that, but there's this possibility that it was so innate when that happened that I might have felt less than with my body because I only had one ovary. Having that cyst removed was just the beginning of a long list of health challenges Marla would experience in her life. When she was only 32 years old, the troubles began. So I felt a lump, went to the doctor. This is when I lived in Boston, Massachusetts. Went to the doctor, and being the social justice person I am, I advocated for myself. The doctor's like, oh, you're too young. There's nothing wrong. It's probably a fibroid, what have you. I'm like, eh, I don't know about this. So a month or two later, I'm like, you know what? No, this is not right. I insisted, which led to them doing a needle aspiration, which is when they insert a needle into the area to see if they could biopsy or what have you. That led to um, finding out that it was stage one breast cancer. And at that time... You know, similar to my relationship with my body, like, I don't think I was able to comprehend really what was happening. I was just going through the motions. And that's kind of what people do when they're diagnosed with something that's so unexpected. You're kind of like in a daze until you figure out what you have to do to get through it. So that was my mental state throughout that. But the breast cancer process, I had a lumpectomy at first, which was essentially done to, like, get the tumor out and save my breast. That was not successful because the margins, the area around where they do the incision needs to be quote-unquote clear enough to prevent any cells from getting out and what have you. The doctors did not feel like that was, it wasn't, it wasn't done well enough. So I switched to one of the supposed best hospitals in Boston, one of the best cancer hospitals in the country, supposedly. And that led to doing a mastectomy and it was hemming and hawing about doing the other side of my chest just for a lot of different reasons. And my treatment might have been perceived as aggressive because I was so young at the time. But I did do testing on the quote-unquote healthy side, and DCIS was discovered. DCIS is ductal carcinoma in site 2, which is the beginning stages of cancer. So once I heard that, I said, take them both. Take them off. 
And I was pretty clear about that because I really believe in prevention as much as possible. And I really wanted to get back to my happy, which is travel and living <laughs> and, you know, learning about culture and what have you. So after I had the bilateral mastectomy, I went through four rounds of AC, which is adriamycin and cytoxin, which that's the chemo cocktail that you lose your hair in. Marla says she didn't dwell on the fact that she lost her hair, and she boldly wore hats and scarves on her head, but never any wigs. She says not hiding her hair loss was her way of taking control of the life she was living. So Marla had breast cancer, a double mastectomy, and aggressive chemotherapy treatments. But that wasn't all she had to deal with during this time. I should just jump back a little bit to when I had my first surgery. I had a really bad medical error, which almost led to me dying, where the nurse during recovery administered the wrong medication to me. And the reason I share that and the reason I wanted to be a part of this conversation today is I want people to be really woke when it comes to their health and advocating for themselves. And while I got through that experience, thanks to other medicine and what have you, it also helped me really listen to my gut which is one of my takeaways in this entire experience. I listened to my gut when I felt the lump. I listened to my gut when I went through challenges. I listened to my gut when I did what I felt was right as far as hair loss and choosing to do a bilateral mastectomy. Listening to her gut and advocating for herself is another theme in Marla's story. So is following her passions. After losing much of her 30s to her health crisis, Marla was ready to get back to the business of living, and as soon as she was able, she left Boston and moved to San Francisco, which had always been a dream of hers. But cancer wasn't done with Marla. As part of her post-breast cancer care, Marla had regular checkups to monitor a potential reoccurrence and also to check for ovarian cancer because of the close connection of the two cancers. Note, despite being of Ashkenazi Jewish heritage and having many immediate family members with cancer, Marla did not have the breast cancer gene. Still, not long after moving to California, bad news struck again. When I was being monitored for ovarian cancer, along with just making sure that everything was okay with my breast cancer treatment process, my CA-125, which is a test, which is a benchmark for ovarian cancer, was erratic. So at that time, since my younger sister was just diagnosed with breast cancer, I really felt compelled take my other ovary out. First of all, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Secondly, I felt like, God forbid I have ovarian cancer, chances are my younger sister does too. So I opted to have my other ovary out, which therefore put me into early menopause in my late 30s. So Marla is by this time in her late 30s and has been through multiple surgeries and cancer treatments. With the decision to have her remaining ovary removed, Marla's main goal was to put the dreaded C-word, cancer, behind her once and for all. And presumably, Marla's medical team had the same focus. So who was prepping Marla for what was about to come? Who was telling her what to expect with regards to menopause? Marla says that conversation didn't happen. But in some ways, that was okay. So essentially, I was told... Not much, to be honest with you. And honestly, part of me is okay with that because when I go back to my initial cancer journey, 
A male doctor dismissed me because of my age. I was too young. I wasn't interested in having other people tell me how or what might happen if that wasn't their experience. Even if it was their experience, it's unique for everybody. So in some ways, maybe it was a gift that I wasn't told what to expect. So what was Marla's menopause experience like after her surgery? It happened pretty gradually in the beginning. In the first month or two, I didn't notice much of a change to my body. Maybe, I mean, I'm not a medical professional, but maybe there was still stuff lingering in my body before the surgery. I I don't know. I'm just guessing here. But it was very gradual, and then it hit really hard, which is fascinating. You know, you'd think, like, I say cold turkey menopause as a joke, But let me be clear, it didn't happen like next day, all of a sudden I was sweating like a pig. It was gradual the first few months. And then I would wake up in the middle of the night and need to take a shower. And the bedsheets were drenched. And I was like, what is happening here? You know, this is not for a good reason why I'm so sweaty, people. So it was was like, what am I doing here? It It was, that for me was strange because it was a sensation that I never had before. And I think that's one of the things your listeners need to be aware of is like, A, yeah, you can get as much information as you possibly can, but the reality of it is your experience may not be like what you're being told that it might be like. So that gets back to what I said earlier. In a way, I felt like it was a gift that I didn't know what to expect because I might have been like future tripping and manifesting it to be worse than it actually was. So the night sweats were very uncomfortable, but they weren't consistent. They would happen here and there for about a year. And then my body kind of like balanced out, became more even keeled. But the other challenge that I did face was, you know, it would be in the middle of winter and I'm walking around in a tank top in the middle of an office. You know, it's like I was a fundraising director at the time. So here I am talking to donors like in a T-shirt. But, you know, whatever it is, what it is. Because of her history with breast cancer, Marla wasn't a candidate for hormone replacement therapy. So, like most women, she was forced to deal with the physical symptoms of menopause on her own. And for Marla, one thing she says that helped her cope was her sense of humor. I mean, I really believe that sense of humor is a phenomenal thing to have. I mean, I kind of laughed my way through it at times because that's all you can really do when you're faced with adversity and you don't have a choice. So, I mean, I was lucky that things petered off within about a year, but... My way of managing it, for the most part, was just wearing light clothing and prepping for the day by wearing layers and taking showers at night or, you know, when need be. That was pretty much all I was able to do. So this is important because while Marla's cold turkey menopause included all of the physical discomforts that many women experience as a result of the decrease in estrogen, and admittedly, she was able to laugh through some of the worst physical indignities— Marla says the most difficult thing about going through menopause before she turned 40 was the loss of her fertility. And that's not something most of us in the 50-plus category are lamenting. I think, honestly, rather than the physical impact of hot flashes and night sweats and all that good stuff, which that was fun. I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) But the biggest challenge for me was, like, the choice of being able to physically give children was taken away from me. And then I had to deal with, oh, you can adopt, you can foster, you can do this. It's like, F you people. That's not the point. The point is that a choice was made for me. You know, hence, I think that's one of the reasons I still have such a disconnect with my physical body. 
Marla did find some helpful support groups for women who went through cancer and some groups for women going through early menopause. She also sought out therapy, but she still felt overwhelmingly alone going through the entire process. But with time, Marla has been able to make sense of it all and put what she went through in context. I, to this day, you know, as I said, I'll be turning 50 shortly. I look at my life as before cancer and after cancer. Ironically, I say BC works before cancer. <laughs> BC, easy. <laughs> I'm a comedian. I can't help it, Lori. It's <laughs> who <So> I am. <laughs> I'm a jokester. It's true. So... I've always looked at that age 32 as my benchmark and as going through menopause as one of the many things I had to deal with. And I would have to say, you know, as I've mentioned, the biggest thing that I had to process because I went through it was the choice was made for me around children. I always said I never wanted kids until I knew the choice was taken away from me. And that's the truth. So when I look at it now, yes, I was forced into menopause 10 years early, but by going into it, I mean, I try to look as the glass is half full. You know, I say this a lot, it could be half full, it could be full of shit, but it's still half full. But I really looked at that as an opportunity to like protect my sister in a lot of ways, because knowing that, and I don't think I made this clear, it turned out I didn't have ovarian cancer. It was it turned out to be a preventative measure. For both me and my sister, we didn't have it, even though the risk was very high. So I do look at it as, as a gift because it allowed me to know that and allowed me to like protect her and me from the possibility of having to go down yet another rabbit hole. Because my biggest thing that I wanted to do in my late 30s is to get my life back. I had moved to San Francisco, which at the time I thought was my happy place. But at that time, I was so eager to get my life back. And I also realized, because of the reasons I mentioned, my life was never going to be the same. So I've always had to reinvent myself. I've always had to go deep in order to figure out like what I was doing. Because I don't do anything in life just because. And I have to have meaning. Otherwise, I'm stuck. So I was stuck for a long time because I didn't know how to process everything after going through that traumatic experience. Now Marla is approaching 50, and while menopause is far behind her, she's still facing some of the same life decisions as women staring menopause in the face. Well, like many of the other women that you interviewed who used menopause as a benchmark for what's next, I really feel turning 50 is that benchmark for me because it's clear. You know, as I mentioned, everything I went through 10 years ago was not clear. It was like, what the hell is happening? At the same time, my father was dying. So there was a lot going on. And now that I'm about to turn 50, I'm excited because it is an opportunity for a clean slate with obviously taking your life experiences with you because they've obviously helped you shape and figure out what you don't want and really to embrace more of what you do want. So that's kind of clarity that I have around my age, which maybe other women, for them, it's the menopause experience. And I want to get back to my happy, which for me, in a lot of ways, is pre-32. I was living my best life right before I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I was 30 pounds lighter. And not to say weight is a measure of being happy, but weight for me is a measure of feeling physically good. So I was feeling really good in my early 30s. I was a serial datist, like dating all the time, you know, and I um, 
was dancing. I love salsa dancing. I was dancing all the time. I, I was having a really fun life. And, you know, now turning 50, I want that back in a way that's going to work for me moving forward through the rest of my life. I love Marla's continuous pursuit of her own happy. She is a perfect example of never giving up on ourselves. Her life has been far from perfect, but she refuses to give up on the belief that she deserves to have a good life, where good is defined on her own terms. Realizing that Marla's life philosophy is one she crafted out of necessity and has tested over and over again, I wanted her to share some words of advice for other women who have experienced early menopause because of surgery or cancer or any other unexpected medical reason. I really believe in listening to your gut. And while you're trying to navigate going through cold turkey menopause, give yourself space to really be quiet so you can really hear what's going on inside you know, the mental impact, the emotional challenges, how your support system is or isn't supporting you. So I would say for someone who's going through what I went through, really pause so that you could even hear your gut and get a little bit of quote-unquote clarity as to what works. And look in your community. As I said, one of the things that helped me at the time was I was a part of a community for young women breast cancer survivors. And I would encourage people in similar situations to look into your community. Nowadays, I mean, it's 10 years later, Facebook is the place to go for a lot of like-minded communities. But also if you're looking for more of a one-on-one type of support, and if you have the energy, because finding the perfect therapist is a very hard thing to do. But if you have the energy while you're going through everything else, I would encourage that as a way to navigate through going through menopause unexpectedly at such a young age. So what's next for Marla? No surprise, she's continuing to pursue her passions, and she's in the process of moving to Spain. I've always wanted to learn Spanish. I love Latin cultures. I love the food. I love the energy. I am drawn to Spain for practical reasons, too. Health insurance is phenomenal. (laughs) I need and I want good health insurance, especially after everyone's hearing my medical history. So I'm really drawn to the health insurance aspect. My best friend lives in Spain as well. And I just want to do what I want to do. Isn't that where we should all be at this point in our lives? Doing what we want to do? Let Marla Stein be your muse and reminder that it is possible after adversity and after menopause, life continues. If you would like to continue following Marla's adventures, here's the best way to do that. I think the best way to connect with me is through my business page, which is marlitasatlas.com. The name of my business is Marlita's Atlas Writing Services. On that page, in addition to my professional experience, I do have a link to my Medium page, which highlights a lot of my personal stories, including adversity I've faced with a brother dying unexpectedly and what have you, and nine top reasons why I'm moving to Spain. So if people want to get in touch with me, my contact information is on my website and through my medium page, you can learn more about me and hopefully find useful information for yourself as well. Thank you so much, Marla, for sharing your story. 
I hope everybody listening enjoyed Marla's story as much as I did. And I hope you heard something here today that you can apply to your own life journey. Here are my takeaways. One, listen to your gut when it comes to your health and be your own best health advocate. Two, humor really can be the best medicine when it comes to menopause. Three, even after adversity, the possibility for happiness still exists. And four, reinvention is every woman's right. What were your takeaways from Marla's story? Please feel free to share your ideas on the My Bloody Hell Facebook page or on our Instagram feed at my underscore bloody hell. Thank you so much for supporting this passion project of a podcast. My goal for this show is to make this podcast a reminder in every woman's ear that perimenopause may suck, but it is the gateway to a new you, a new stage in life, and possibly, just maybe, the best time in your life. So if you're listening now and you learned something new about the perimenopause experience, or you heard something that inspired you to think differently about your own menopause journey, please tell a friend about the show. Maybe they need to learn the same things you do. Remember, friends don't let friends menopause alone. Okay, that's all I have to share this week, but I'll be back next Wednesday with two special guests. That's right, the menopausative doctors will be here to share their wisdom about how to optimize your menopause experience. So be sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss it. Until next week, Wonder Women, be good to yourselves, get some snacks from Yum Day, and maybe take a walk. The My Bloody Hell podcast is produced by me, Lori L. Tharps. Our editor and technical director is Brad Linder. Our theme music was composed by Good B Music. And hey, one last thing. I am not a doctor nor any other type of medical professional. Therefore, do not use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for verifiable medical advice and information. Always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have any medical questions or concerns regarding menopause or any other health-related issue. Thank you.